If you've got a Bible, um, I'd love you to um, get it out. You might have a phone. You might want to turn it on and turn to Luke chapter 15. We're going to look at it in a moment and read the story, a story which will be very familiar to many of us in here this evening, the story of the prodigal fu- uh, son. <laughs> but the first, before we do that, I want to ask you a question. Uh, And here is my question for you um, this evening. Do you know who you really are? If I was to get you to turn to the person sitting next to you and tell them who you are, what would you say about yourself? How would you describe yourself? In the dark ages, before the uh, mobile phones were invented, way back long, long ago, prank calling uh, was quite good fun. It wasn't always kind, but it was often fun. I used to phone my grandfather when I was smaller, and uh, I used to phone him up and then pretend that when I asked him, I would disguise my voice and ask him questions, and then when he uh, replied, I would pretend that I couldn't understand him. And uh, I used to send him into a rage, which was very funny for me, but probably not very funny for him, and I was never brave enough to admit to to the fact that it was me on the other end of the phone. We have a very good friend that some of you know called Simon Gilbo, uh, a missionary in Burundi, and he loves prank calling people, and he used to phone us up regularly in the early days when we were getting to know him and pretend that he was some African on the other end of the phone trying to sell us life insurance until we got wise to it. And um, my first ever vicar... um, used to sometimes pick up his phone and pretend that he was the Chinese takeaway. And uh, on one particular occasion, uh, a parishioner obviously got through to him the second time, very relieved, and said, oh, gosh, I'm glad I got through to you, because the last time I phoned, you know, I obviously got the wrong number, and it was the Chinese takeaway. And then he'd, this person had phoned to tell the vicar that a relative of his had died. So, <laughs> of course, he didn't dare admit to that um, prank either. A little word of warning, Andrew. Don't pretend to be (laughs) the Chinese takeaway. Anton Deck. Any of you watch Anton Deck? Yeah, Saturday night takeaway. They're kind of masters of the whole disguise thing, aren't they? And uh, they have quite good fun concealing their identity and playing pranks on people. And you can have, to some degree or another, um, a bit of fun when people don't know who you are. It's a little bit more serious when we don't know who we are. Life isn't quite so fun or cool when we don't know who we are. And the truth is that many of us, even those of us who follow Jesus Christ, don't know who we really are. And what baptism is about, which uh, is what we're, going, we're here to witness and uh, going to be celebrating in with these uh, guys this evening, what baptism is, it's a number of things. It's a symbolic act. It's a public uh, declaration of uh, a relationship with Jesus. It's uh, an act of obedience because Jesus says, if you follow me, get baptized. But first and foremost, I believe that baptism is a declaration of a change of, a de- of identity. It's a statement about identity. Jesus himself got baptized in a river in front of a huge crowd. And as he did, something really extraordinary happened. We don't tend to have really extraordinary things happening when we baptize people here. The most extraordinary thing that tends to happen, I don't know if it's going to happen tonight, but frequently you will see a plate of sausages emerging from uh, this tank behind me. Uh, They've been used as a plug in the past. I'm not anticipating anything more extraordinary than that happening this evening. I don't know what they've put in there, but we could be lucky. But something really extraordinary happened at Jesus' baptism. 
And what happened was that as he went down into the water and came up again, the crowds around him saw a dove descend upon him. And a dove was a kind of physical symbol for the Holy Spirit. I think that would have been really cool. It would be really cool if a real-life dove came down and landed on the head, maybe they wouldn't think so, of our baptismal candidates this evening. So that happens, and as the dove descends on Jesus, God speaks from heaven. So bearing in mind, Jesus has come, and he's beginning his public ministry. He's come into the public arena on that day, and God decides to speak, and there's a huge crowd gathered there. Now, if you were God, and this was the occasion that your son was launching his public ministry, and you had the attention of a huge crowd, I wonder what you would say to that crowd. I wonder if you might say, hey, everybody, I want you to pay attention to my boy because he's got some really important things to say. I wonder if you might say, listen, everybody, this man is going to save the world and he's going to be a personal saviour to anyone who wants to put their trust in him. I wonder if, he, if you were God, you might say, look out, look at, watch this guy's life, watch my son's life because he's going to show you what I'm like. And if you look at him, you can discover what I, God, am like. I don't know, God could have said all kinds of things in that moment, but he doesn't. He doesn't speak to the crowd. He doesn't get some kind of great big message across in this captive, you know, this moment where he has a captive audience. He says one thing, and he says it to Jesus as he's coming up from his baptism. And he says this, you are my dearly beloved son, and I'm really, really pleased with you. God could have picked that moment to say anything to anyone and he speaks to Jesus and he says, you're my son and I really love you and I'm really pleased with you. He was affirming Jesus' identity, not as a Messiah, not as a saviour, not as a healer, not as a restorer, not as a redeemer, but as his son. And baptism is about the identity of becoming a son or a child of God. Baptism is something we do. Jesus tells us to get baptized if we know him, if we're in relationship with him, to affirm our identity as a son or a daughter of the living God. We don't get the new identity from being baptized. We don't stand outside the water, not as a child, go down and come up as a child. We do it as an act to demonstrate that we have become a child of God. Why does knowing who we are, who we really are, why does the identity issue matter so much? Well, I would argue that knowing who we are is one of the two most significant factors that shapes our life. Who you believe you are is one of the two most single uh, influential factors on your life. The other is who you believe God is. What you believe about yourself and what you believe about God are the two things that will shape the life you live and the way that you live that life. So, if you've got your Bible, let's just turn uh, to Luke 15 and read this story, which, again, is a story, a a very well-known, it's a fabulous, it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible, and it is a story about uh, identity. Luke chapter 15, 
verses 11 to 32. Jesus continued. So Jesus is talking to crowds of people who both believe in him uh, and believe in God and people who are very um, far from God. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So the father divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, all his money from his father, and set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the country where he was living. And he began to be in great need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to uh, fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And that, by the way, was was a really horrific thing for a Jew. This guy was a Jew to have to resort to, to contemplate eating pig food. When he came to his senses, he said, "'How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare?' And here I am, starving to death. I'll sit out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off in the distance, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father... I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That's what he planned to say. But the father said to him, uh, said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. But there was an older brother The father had another son. And meanwhile, this older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants. He was a bit livid. And he asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Well, the older brother was livid. He became angry and he refused to go in. So his father, this loving father, went out and pleaded with him. But he said to his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you've never even given me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. How fair is that? My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate, and we had to be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now, there's so much that we could say about this incredible story and this amazing picture of this incredible father. It's actually a picture. It's called the prodigal son. It's actually a picture of the heart of God and the nature of God as father. But for now, I want us just to look at one phrase in verse 19. Don't know if you noticed it. The son was rehearsing what he was going to say to his dad as he came home. And he said this, I am not worthy to be called your son. What do you reckon? Do you agree with him? Do you agree with his analysis that after everything he'd done and the way he'd behaved, the way he'd taken his half of the inheritance, which was effectively saying, God, uh, Dad, I wish you were dead, and then gone off and squandered it, would you agree 
worthy to be called his son or not. Basically, he's discovered, hasn't he, that actually he's not quite as nice as he thought he was. He's pretty self-centered, he's pretty uncaring, pretty independent, pretty look after my own needs. And he's realized the kind of person that he really was. That he was basically a selfish idiot. And therefore realized that he didn't deserve to be treated like the son he was. He realizes that he hasn't treated his dad like a father. He treated his dad like a bank manager that could basically just bankroll his lifestyle. He's let the side down big time and realizes that everything, actually, that should change everything if and when he goes back home. So knowing that he needs something, he develops this plan to find a way of earning a living back in his father's household. His dad was very rich and plans to earn the provision that he needs because he knows he absolutely can't come back and expect to be treated like a son. He's done nothing to deserve that title, son. And the point of the story is this. Does that make any difference to the father? Does it make any difference at all to the father? Absolutely not. Once a son, always a son. Once a son, always a son. So the father puts on the best robe and the sandals and the ring and everything else to show the village that are watching in horror that he would be embraced as a son and the boy that he will live like a son, like the son that he always has been. I'm going to come back to the robe in a minute, but the point I want to draw our attention to again this evening is that deep in the heart of every human being, actually in the heart of each one of us in here, is a knowledge that we are not worthy of the love of God. We know that we are not worthy of the love of God. And many of us live with a haunting fear or a repeated soundtrack that goes round in our heads at different points of time that we're not good enough that we're not good enough. We know about shame, and we know about guilt, and we know about condemnation or self-condemnation. And we keep, that's one of the reasons we keep so much about what's in our hearts and what's going on in our lives hidden. I don't know about you, but when I look at Facebook and Instagram, I kind of think they're just highlight reels, aren't they? Of, of, of different lifestyles. I very rarely, if ever, see a post, you know, stuck up there by somebody going, look at the carnage that my selfish choices have made today. Those kind of things don't tend to get put out there. Uh, we keep our messy bits hidden, don't we? We keep our messy bits hidden from each other and very often from God. We have this sense and this inner knowledge that we're not worthy of God and his love. I was um, out this afternoon with Tim and I prayed for, um, we prayed for a lady on the street and we asked her, I asked her what she wanted prayer for. And she said, I want prayer for self-acceptance. I want to be able to accept myself. Why do we find it so hard to love and accept ourselves? Why do we find it so hard to believe that God loves and accepts us? It's for the same reason that this boy knew, or this son recognized in this story, that we know we're not worthy of his love. And that is precisely the good news 
of this story and that Jesus came to bring. We can never earn God's love, ever. There is nothing we can do to make God love us more. To be worthy, to use that word, to be worthy of love means we have done something to make ourselves worth loving. We can never do that. And the other, the, the other son was effectively, he was working for his dad. He looked like the kind of good son, the great son, the son that hadn't abandoned him or squandered his wealth or whatever. But he was basically doing the same thing, wasn't he? He was out working in the fields, but he basically also felt that he was unworthy of his father's love because what he was doing by his response was showing us that he thought, well, if I work hard, I will give my father a reason to love me. His love will be a reward for the things that I've done. So that son, too, was living with the same narrative. I'm not worthy of my father's love just by being who I am. Jesus is making the point in this story that once a son, you are always a son. You're either a son or a daughter or you're not. You're either a son or a daughter reconciled to God, or you're not. I'm either a daughter of God or I'm not. And if I'm a daughter of God or I'm a son of God, I am loved by him. Period. End of story. There is nothing that we can do as children of God to make him love us more. And there is nothing that we can do to make him love us less. The youngest son did everything possible to stop the father from loving him. If God was going to stop loving a son or change how much he loved a son, that younger son would have qualified for, for the father to stop loving him. And if the, the older son, if, if God was able to love somebody more because of the work and the effort and the choices that they put in, the older son would have qualified for that extra love. But both sons demonstrate, Jesus is using them to illustrate the fact that we cannot change the way the father feels about us. And the father is crazy about you. The father loves you in the same way that he loves Jesus. How much do you think God loves Jesus? The Bible says in John 15, 9, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. Jesus, uh, the Father loves you as much as he loves Jesus. And nothing you can ever do will ever change that. Let's just go back to the significance of the robe that the Father put on him. The robe was what signified that the relationship between the father and the son was restored. And each of us is given, when we hand our lives over to Jesus, we are given what the Bible calls a robe of righteousness. Bit of a tricky, long, sort of funny word. But what it means is it's a gift from Jesus to enable us to stand right before God. And what that robe meant for the son was that he could now live in the identity of being a son restored to his father and experience his father's love every day. 
and the robe of righteousness that Jesus gives each of us as we hand our life over to him is a gift, a, a, a gift to, to demonstrate and to remind us of our identity as his children so that we can experience and live in his love on a daily basis, free from needing to do anything to earn it. We don't have to work hard. We don't have to, to pray with gritted teeth or read our Bible or go out and serve him or give loads of money to make God love us more. If we know our identity as his children, then we're loved because we belong to him. He puts a robe on us in the spiritual realm to give us a new identity as his children. Just want you to watch something uh, just for a bit of fun on the screens. I've got a bit of a clip. Are there any Superman fans here? I noticed actually up on the balcony, Stephen's wearing a sweatshirt tonight with a great big Superman S on. Just got a little clip here uh, from um, one of the Superman films. Can we have that up? Sorry, <laughs> we have got, we've got some baptisms to get on with. <laughs> Maybe we can watch it again later as we're having our autumn night food. Um, it's just a fun picture. I like to think of the fact that this robe of righteousness that we have, that Jesus gives us, that Jesus gives us when we put our life into his hands, into God's hands, is a bit like that kind of Superman uh, garment that Clark Kent wears under his clothes. And we have this great big J on us. And it's something that we are clothed with and um, that defines our identity. And it's a new identity given to us with him. And we are called, we're not called to kind of, you know, hold up jumbo jets, are we? But we are called to live a supernatural lifestyle and to do things because we belong to him that we can't do uh, without an out of relationship with him. You know, God has called us to partner with him in this world and to heal the sick and to, to, to live a supernatural lifestyle. And it's not because we are special in and of our own right. It's because we are loved by God and Jesus has clothed us with this robe of righteousness. And when we're living and walking in that identity as a child of his, as a son of his or as a daughter of his, that's when we can live fully the life that he's called us to live. Who does your past say that you are? Your past will in some way shape how you think about yourself. Who do the people around you say that you are? The people around you and what they speak into and over your life will in some way shape who you think you are. Maybe your current circumstances speak into your life and talk to you about who you are or who you're not. We have messages all the time telling us who we are and who we aren't whether it's from social media, from you know, the people around us and the environments that we're in. Everything is contending to give us an identity. God gives us a new identity as a child of his when we put our life into his hands. And going down into the water of baptism and then coming up again is symbolic of letting go of the old identity. 
When Clark Kent takes off the clothes and you know, his, his Superman identity is revealed, he's had to let go and you know, get rid of those outer clothes. And baptism is symbolic of letting go of our old identity and fully embracing our new identity as a child of God. And actually, it's when we walk in that identity as his child that actually we are free to be and to do everything God has called us to be and do. So when the enemy tells you God's not going to answer your prayer because you haven't prayed enough, how are we meant to respond to that? We're meant to say, I'm a child of God. You know, great big J, I'm a child of God. That's why God's going to answer my prayer. When the enemy says to you, you can't pray for healing for this person because you're not spiritual enough, the answer is meant to be, God's going to use me because I'm his child, not because I'm spiritual enough. When, you, when the enemy tells you God's not going to bless you or provide for you, or he's not going to fight for you because you haven't done this or because you've messed up in this way or whatever, our answer is meant to be absolutely he is because I'm a child of God. I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. Jesus offers us a new identity as a child of his when we hand our life over to him. For some of us here this evening, we've done that, but we've forgotten who we are and we've put those old clothes back on again. And there's an invitation this evening to let go again of that old identity and embrace our identity as children of his. These uh, two um, guys that are going to testify in just a second about what God's done for them, they are demonstrating that new identity that God has clothed them with. And if you're here this evening and you've never actually made a decision to give your life to God, he is a father who wants to embrace you, to enable you to experience his love and to live in the fullness of that love. And if you haven't ever done that and you want to do that this evening, there's going to be an opportunity to do that at the end of um, this service. But let's remember that we are wearing, we are invited to wear and to live in the Father's love as we, as we embrace and live in the truth of our identity as his children. And that's where we see and embrace life in all its fullness.